Welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I'm your host for today. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, real estate investors, and real estate entrepreneurs. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast that has two purposes. Purpose number one, to educate and inform our audience and listeners. Purpose number two, time to spotlight you, your business, your service, or your product in a way that provides value to you, including market exposure and content creation. With that, we have a very special guest, Tom Z. Back in 2001, Tom was broke as a joke. I like that. Broke as a joke, man. I heard my I heard my parents and they used to use that a lot. So that really stood out to me. Back in 2001, Tom was broke as a joke. A near-death experience while whitewater rafting pushed him to find a new way to break free of his nine-to-five job. His first deal, right, in quotes, almost took him under as well. But real estate investing saved him in the end both personally and financially. Hundreds of deals later, he is happy to share the same negotiation, marketing, and business techniques that set him free. So you can do the same. Simple, structure, and step-by-step. Techniques that take you from spinning your reels to doing profitable deals. Tom, I'm excited that you're here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jerome. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Tom, tell us a little bit about, you know, we read your bio, we hear about the story and how that changed your life. So, Give us, in your own words, your personal story and how you got to where you got to. It was uh, oh, 20 plus years ago. I was stuck in a day job. I didn't like it after a while. You know, you think you're going to like it, graduate college, get a job, think it's going to be great. Everything's going to be everything's going to be just fine. And then you wind up feeling trapped, stuck, uninterested, not really not working to your full potential and doing what you really know you should be doing and not particularly being passionate about what you want to do. And I was, I was stuck and I was really stuck financially because I realized all I had done was spend money and all I had done was get so deep in the debt, I, I couldn't figure out a way out. And then, so I did the only logical thing. I, I went on vacation <laughs> and then disappeared for a couple of weeks with some buddies. Uh, we went about as far as away as you can get. We went to India on the other side of the world and went whitewater rafting. And uh, I'll tell you, it was a great experience. I felt fantastic. Uh, until I went over the edge of the raft and under the water. And uh, then I, when I wasn't sure if I was going to make it because I was kind of starting to pass out, I thought, you know, I, I could have done so much more. I've wasted every chance I've had. I haven't done anything yet. I'm, I, I kind of made a decision. I get out of this. I'm going to make things different. I'm going to get out of it. I'm going to change everything. Well, obviously, I got out of the water, but I got back. Nothing had changed. How was I going to change anything? And none of it, none of it was real. And I didn't have a way out uh, until somebody handed me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read that and I snapped. And now I, I had a way out. Now, I didn't have any details, but I had a direction forward. Had a vision. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, that was the book that changed my life, too, and got me into real estate. So we have that similarity there. I know it done it, it's done the same thing for a lot of people, but it means a lot. You know? Yeah. All right. I have some questions for you. I want to get your perspective on different things, right? So. Um, I would like to hear from you, like, what do you think is stopping most people from like getting involved in real estate? I think it's just raw fear and a, a total, it, it, it's very easy to be addicted to the way things are, whether or not you realize that you're addicted to it. It's just that, that, that classic, uh, things are what they are. They'll never change. Mm -hmm. They'll changes for other people. And so people get a fear that they can't actually do it. 
And when you when you live in that in that real state of doubt, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. Ain't nothing ever going to happen until you decide to make something happen. It, it, that is your choice. I know it, it sounds cheesy. It, it sounds like some you know typical self help book, but you, you've got. But it's true. But you, you've got to make the choice and start to actually do something. Actually implement, not just talk about it, not just think about it. Actually get out there and do something. Okay. Thank you. And um, I'm really big. That's the name of our podcast, Implementation. We got that like right in our title because I find that most people struggle with that. Um, when I was first starting in real estate, I went out, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, just like you. And I was like, now I need a mentor. And I got to, I'm like, I can't do this. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this by myself. And um, it took me like three years, it's two years to save up $3,000 just to pay for that mentor. But I understood the value of that. And um, one of the things that he helped me realize was the importance of like going out, having these conversations and finding deals and reading your bio, right? Like your longer bio, I understand that you understand the importance of marketing. So I want to hear from you. Like, can you tell us like the number one thing that's stopping people from getting involved and doing some deals? Number one thing, consistency, consistency Seriously. in the marketing. I mean, some people is actually, you know, doing anything, but okay. a lot of people, you know, once they finally pull the trigger, they'll do one round of mailings, send okay. one group of postcards or call, call one person. I mean, I guess you must think you're really lucky if you're going to call one person and, and mm -hmm. they just turn into a deal. I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, be the bearer of bad news to anyone, but it ain't enough to talk to one person. You, you've got to multiply your effort, right? There's got to be, there's, there's got to be a lot more. You got to call a hundred people, talk to a hundred people. And if that sounds daunting and exhausting, well, it is a little bit of work, right? This mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't just add water or, or push button riches. It takes a little bit of work, but it, if you're willing to make a hundred phone calls, you'll be surprised what'll happen. Thank you for sharing that. When I, uh, again, when I first got involved, I learned from that mentor and he would teach me some of Ron LeGrand stuff. And one of the things that uh, Ron LeGrand that I, that stuck with me from Ron LeGrand was the 100 house rule. And in order to get one deal, you got to have a hundred conversations, no matter, you know, fluctuate. So um, that's highly important. You got to have those conversations. Most people, right. I teach it now and they're like, Oh, how many calls did you make? I made three calls and none of them working out. It's not enough. Right. So can you talk about that? Can you go a little bit deeper and talk about the importance of, you know, having those conversations, talking with people, negotiation, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think it's the only way that you are going to finally get into it and get to your deal is by accepting that it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable at first. You're probably mm -hmm. going to have people hang up on you. People are going to call you names. They're going to cuss you out. They're going to threaten to call the government because you made a phone call and they're on the do not call list, even though you're not mass calling. Uh, it, it, there's all sorts of things. There's just negativity, 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 negativity. The tougher you can make your skin to that, the better off you'll be. The faster you quit worrying about everyone's little nonsense and just do what you got to do. Make the calls. If you become, how do I put this? If you become a little bit perversely addicted to being rejected, if you get addicted to being told no, then every no is one step closer to your yes. So the key is to actually be happy that somebody told you no, because that means you actually made the call. You actually made it happen. You're actually in motion and you're moving. And if you keep at it, it's just a matter of time before somebody says yes. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
Thank you. So uh, reading your bio, right? It says hundreds of deals later, right? Hundreds of deals later, he's happy to share some negotiation, marketing and business techniques. So can you share with us some uh, like your top tip for negotiation? Yeah, top tip for negotiating. All right. So I've got I've, I've got a whole slew of these that I use. I've got I've got 50, okay. it, it's almost like a deck of cards. But but my 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 all time favorite Jerome is flinching which is anytime anybody says any number to you whatsoever, I want you to act like you were physically attacked by the number. So it, say a number, Joe. Uh, $50,000, Tom. $50,000, wow, that's a lot. And then watch for the reaction. I mean, how, how do you feel when I flinch? How do you feel about your number? I feel guilty. You feel guilty? Really? You don't feel good about your own number? No. Okay. I don't even know what we're talking about, right? I'm, I didn't ask right. you twice. You put a dollar sign on it. That's cool. I just said, say a number. Are we talking about a house, a car, a boat, a stick of mm -hmm. bubblegum? It, it, but it doesn't matter. You feel guilty and a little weird about your number, like it must be too high. So flinching immediately puts downward pressure on the other party. It automatically kind of lets them know that number ain't right and it's going to have to change if we want to turn this into a deal. And so that is always, that's my go-to first uh, technique, first tactic in the negotiation. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that and letting us see that live in action. Yeah, um, I know it's a little weird, but. <laughs> yeah, for for people that's like, you know what? I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I want to get started. Like, how do I, how do you beat that fear of getting started? Because it's one thing to say it, right? We're like, we like, go get it done, get it started, right? And people, you know, some you got some high achievers that's like, you know what? I want to face fear. I'm going to just do it. So, but what are some strategies, some suggestions that you have to beat fear so the person can actually get started? Yeah, I tell people in these scenarios a couple of things. One is just try it. Well, I'll tell you what, make three calls. Go to the newspaper, grab, you know, grab the for sale by owners, go to Craigslist, grab some for sale by owners and just try it. And then after each time, look in the mirror and realize you're still breathing, you're still alive and you're fine. You know, mm -hmm. someone, ooh, someone you never know, is never, you're never going to meet who, you know, you don't know from anyone and you're never going to talk to again, just called you a bad name or, or just cussed at you on the phone. So what? You're still alive. Carry on. Now, I know that could be a big step for people. So. I suppose there's a point where you have to want the outcome more than more than you worry about the fear of the rejection or the pain or the uncomfortableness. So some people, it's, it's going to be until you get to that point where you're just fed up, fed up working, fed up not having enough money, fed up having you know more more debt on your credit cards than you have income, fed up realizing that you'll actually never get out of that credit card debt because compound interest is destroying you. And it, there's got to be maybe that causes enough pain where you snap and just move ahead and do it. Uh, or hopefully you're the type of person I can say, well, I'll do it three times. I mean, maybe you need to be challenged. So, Jerome, I challenge all of your listeners to just make three phone calls and then see if you're still alive. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Um, tell us. Right. So I, I, I want I want to this one. I was just having a conversation yesterday. I was talking to the gentleman and he was asking me all these questions about a deal and what it would look like and what that would look like, like every question, every step. And I'm like, and it's, it's like, it really depends. So I'd like to hear from you, like, what's the best way to get clarity about moving forward with a deal? Like, is there one strategy? Is there different strategies? Like, how do I get clarity on moving forward with a deal? If you learn the process, 
you have to recognize that you're learning a process, you're learning the way things should flow. That doesn't mean they're always going to flow that way. And that's the problem when people say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about that? We, we could take a hundred, you know, there's a hundred different permutations. There's a hundred different options and, and shades of gray that we can get out there and realize there's all these different forks in the road. But just learn the overall process, understand what you're doing and try. Because if you get stuck, here's the number one thing. I, I think it's, sometimes people don't, don't want to call because they're going to say something or this deal is going to take a twist and a turn and I don't know how to handle it. Well, then here's the solution. Take this approach. When you're talking to somebody on the phone, always be willing to say, huh, that's a good question. Let me check with one of the senior people in my group to get back to you. Now, are you part of a group? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you're, you know, you're a follower of this podcast. That, that, that's a group. But just say it because it, it takes you off of the, you don't feel the pressure to make a decision anymore because you're not the main one. And it's just a nice way to realize you're not going to get cornered. Worst comes to worst, just say, hey, good question. Give me a few minutes. Let me ask somebody else. And then you can go ask them. Thank you. So you mentioned groups, right? Communities, mentorship, coaching, all this stuff matters. And I like to uh, I like to make sure people understand that it's impossible to succeed without a team. You can't do business by yourself. So I would like to hear from you, like, what are some suggestions that you have for like groups? And I'm thinking like particularly like how we know each other. Like I met you like informally through like a RIA group. So I would like to hear from you different perspectives, RIA groups, coaching, mentorship. I would like you to talk about the importance of these groups in these communities. Yeah, I think it's I mean, I'll preface this by saying obviously I'm biased because I run a couple of real estate investor associations. But I don't think there's any bigger bang for your buck than your local RIA. Find a good RIA group in your area or online. There's a lot of online as well these days. And that's your community. Those are your people. That's the places you find your buyers. That's the places you can find your mentors. That's the places you find your contractors and your recommendations and your attorneys and your, your money lenders, right? All this stuff is coming from that group and that community. I don't think there's a better spot to start. Thank you. Could you tell us, so could you go deep, like, tell us what a RIA group is, right? We say RIA. Um, what is that? What does it stand for? Sure. And, you know, a, a couple more benefits. And then I would like to hear from you, like, I want you to talk about your RIA. And, sure. Yeah. All right. So RIA, R-E-I-A, Real Estate Investors Association. It's a group of like-minded people that get together, usually on a monthly basis, uh, to discuss real estate deals and to learn from each other. Because Jerome, I, I don't know about you, but I don't just walk out my door, go down the street and uh, you know, go to a restaurant and find other people that know what the heck a real estate investor does. It's maybe a little more common with a realtor, you know, a, 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 an agent, but that's not, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an independent, non-licensed investor. I buy properties, I don't list them. And you don't find groups of those people around so the, you have to go to a place where they get together on a regular basis. And, and that place is a RIA, a Real Estate Investors Association. Thank you. Can you tell me, like, are all of them great or some are good or are there are signs to look for? Should I just join the first one that comes up? Like, how can I get involved and make sure I get the best bang for my buck? Like you said, I would go to all of them that you can find in your area. And I think it's just like people they're, they're not all good and they're not all bad. Um, and they're not all in between either, right? Honestly, they're all over the place, just like people and their personalities. So, so go to all of them, see what you like, and then keep going back to the ones that you felt comfortable with, the ones that you got a good vibe from, the 
the ones that you thought were, were there to really help you and that could provide a lot of value, like a good network, like good options of people, like a good education, because that's where you're going to get all that. This isn't it, a real estate investor education isn't something you get in school. And yeah, there's a lot of information floating around out there online, but to have it curated by a RIA that knows what you need because they deal with, they deal with our kind all the time, right? They deal with independent real estate investors. And so that curation that the RIA does, I think is the key. Thank you. Can you tell us about your RIA's traction? Traction RIA, right? Traction RIA, right. Traction RIA. So it's tractionria.com. We are, we operate in a couple different areas. Washington, D.C. is our traditional area. And then we also have groups in Tampa and Sarasota, Florida, as well as many of our meetings are online or we have follow ups to our meeting online now as well. So that covers a nationwide base. And we aim to help people to get traction in their business. That was the number one. I remember when we changed the name, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. That was the number one frustration that kept coming up as we interviewed our members. They said they were looking to get traction in their business. And so it became a natural thing to, hey, let's let's call this Traction Rare. Nice. I like that. You know, one of my favorite business books ever is Traction. You ever read that book? I've not read it. It came out around the same time. But okay. yeah, I've not I've not read it. But it's it's a it's a I, I, from what people told me, it's that same concept. Right. I want mm -hmm. to get traction people use that yes. as a word as a phrase all the time because yeah that's what they're after yeah and i like i appreciate that because i didn't understand the you know the reasoning behind traction but yeah that's what i find most groups that i've been associated with they'll help you get there they'll help you get some education but it's like all right i'm trying to like go somewhere else now i'm trying to gain that traction so that's really valuable that you you present that in your real group yeah so look as a marketing lesson, right? I, I named mm -hmm. the group after the main desire that my people had. So mm -hmm. I, I looked at the people I serve and am using a message that connects with them. Well, that's the exact mm -hmm. same thing we need to do as real estate investors. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for people in foreclosure, think about what their problems are, mm -hmm. what they have and scratch it. That's what we're after. What buttons do they have that you can push? If, if, they're, if they're going through divorce, what are their issues? If they're inheriting a property, from, from a loved one that passed away, what are their issues? If they're a sick and tired landlord because they've evicted somebody for the you know third time in as many years, what other hot button issues that you can now speak to in your marketing messaging? Because the more you get that that message to market match, correct? As long, the more that you match it, match your message to the market, the more likely they are to raise their hand and respond. And by raising their hand, I mean, you know, they're going to pick up the phone and call you or fill out a form on your website or send you an email. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because it did sit with me when you said attraction. I was like, I understand Rias, but attraction was like a word that I, I it's a philosophy that I identify with. I don't want to just sit here. I'm trying to like gain some traction. So that's very valuable. And speaking of marketing, right, um, can you help us understand what marketing is? Tell us in simple terms what marketing is. And then I'm going to talk about you know, some of the benefits and reasons why we want to be marketing. Yeah. Marketing in a nutshell is finding your peeps. You got to find your people. Who are the people you're after? So look, if you're a creative real estate investor looking for good deals, you got to have a, a motivated seller. Now, I, I know we've all heard that term before, but let me make sure I define it my way. A, a motivated seller needs to sell the property more than they want to sell it. They need to sell it because of a problem, even more than they want to. So solving their problem is their number one issue, which is perfect 
because I can help them solve their problem, which is their number one thing, and they win because my number one thing as an investor is getting the price right. So we're not arguing about the same thing. So in the negotiation, we can have a win-win. I can solve the problem and get the price I want, which is awesome because we do have a win-win negotiation and it starts with good marketing. If we were both after the same thing, we're both after price, well, now we're fighting about the same thing. There's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. And then we don't have a win-win scenario. So that it, it's interesting that as important as the negotiation piece is, but that's kind of number two. First, you got to find the person, but you help your negotiation. You help out part two by getting part one right, by marketing for the right people and reaching out to them with the right message. Thank you. Um, could you tell us why, like, tell us what most people get wrong about marketing? Consistency. Consistency. Repetition, All right. Multiplication. Yeah. They, they, they do their marketing one time, Jerome. How many times have somebody told you, I tried it, it didn't work? Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Tell me more about your trying. Um, how many postcards did you send? How many letters? How many phone calls? And usually they're telling me, oh, uh, one, three, five. That's not enough. And so, and then, okay, great, you did that. How many times did you repeat? How many times have you sent the same letter, the same postcard to the exact same list with the same message? There's usually zero repetition. And I would make an argument, I think it's a very strong argument, that the quote unquote secret to marketing, it's not much of a secret, it's repetition. And that's what's missing because most people don't repeat. They get conscious that, oh no, I don't want to spend more time on this. Or, oh no, I don't want to spend more money on postcards that don't go anywhere, but you, you've got to repeat. I agree. And like, this is my book. Yeah. And yeah. the whole reason I published this book was because exactly what you're saying. Most people will send out one message on Facebook or one postcard round or go do one event, one this, one that. And when I first published the book, the name of the book was called Remarketing. Remarketing, because it was like, you got to repeat. You got to keep doing it. You got to keep going. And like, that's the biggest problem that people have. It's not going to find the leads. It's not the content. It's like people are not following up. They're not top of mind. Yeah. And I found I agree with you. That was the whole reason that I published a book, because the biggest mistake is not the marketing techniques and the next this and the next that. It's like we're not following up with those leads or those people that were you know, reaching out to in the first place. Yep. Most people have a total and utter lack of any follow up. And folks, that's that's your problem. Right. It's a total right. lack of any follow up. So, yeah, I, you said a key term in there. A, 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 I call it TOMA, T-O-M-A top of mind awareness you got to stay top of mind and the only way you're going to do that is by constantly being there look think about the tv commercials you can sing along with or the radio jingle you can't get out of your head because mm -hmm. it's stuck in that that that's not because you heard it one time it's because mm -hmm. you've heard it so many times and you're so sick and tired of hearing it but that right but it worked that that's why you know it absolutely and like speaking along like along those same lines i have like children i've got four children and uh, my youngest two, there was this song, Baby Shark. Oh, yes. Yeah, good <laughs> that. Oh, you just put that in my head now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it sticks with me forever because, it, you know, the marketing is this top of mind. You keep hearing it, Baby Shark, Baby Shark, Baby Shark. So uh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, all right. Perfect. Perfect case in point. That song. Yeah. Like it or hate it. I think most people you eventually get to hate. And yet, you know it. You remember it. And yeah, that's it. it right. It's something, it, it's a message, 
It gets out there really quick and simple, and you've heard it a gazillion times, so you remember it. Yes. Yes. Tom, tell us um, why goal setting is cheesy. <laughs> I do sometimes refer to goal setting as cheesy, and I'm not saying it's not somewhat important, but it is mm -hmm. a little cheesy. If I set my goals and I can just manifest it and it's going to appear magically uh -huh. in front of me, no, it's not. Okay? It, mm -hmm. You should have a a vector you should have a direction you should have a, a path forward in your mind but that's not the you know you're, there's going to be hurdles and roadblocks along the way so yeah i would much rather you have a plan of action than just a, an overall goal the goal is nice but the plan is more important and the I, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw what i just said under the bus in a way but i, I want people to understand what i'm saying here that the plan is important, even though the plan never quite works because nothing ever follows the way you had planned. But the planning process where you actually take the time to develop a plan, when you're going through the planning process, you're figuring out so many different things so that you could focus on the one path. Well, that one path is you're not going to be able to stay on it. Life doesn't work that way. We all know that. But the fact that you went through the process of planning, now you understand that when life throws you a curveball or a slider or a sinker, or fastball, whatever it is, you know how to adjust because you've been through the planning process. So it's planning that's important, not goal setting per se. Thank you. I, I agree and I appreciate that. Something I tell people is like, you're not going to have the whole picture. Map it out and take the first step. Yeah. There are guaranteed things that are going to come up, but you just got to keep moving. You got to keep adjusting. Always. Tell us three major screw ups that can knock you out of business. Hmm. Let's see. Three major screw-ups that'll take you out. Uh, no marketing, like flat out, don't do anything. You know, thinking about marketing is not marketing. Planning the market is not marketing. Planning mm -hmm. to plan to plan to someday maybe do some marketing ain't marketing either, right? You actually you have to do it. So I find a lot of times it's just flat out nobody takes the first step, and then they wonder why nothing happens. So that that's a big one. Uh, I've got to reiterate the repetition. You've got to do your marketing more than once. You've got to get that message out there repeated, repeated, repeated. And then the third thing would be getting that mark message to market match correct. If you don't speak to your people in a way where they go, yeah, that's me. And this guy, this gals, they're talking to me and, oh, and they're also presenting a solution. If you can't get that messaging right, then you're going to be dead in the water. Those are the three things. Okay. Um, all right. So tell us about your, you've done hundreds of deals. Tell us about one of your students or your REA members that you've helped get through a deal, like your favorite situation. You know, this, this, this person came in to our REA group. They were looking for this help and I helped them get this by this. Tell yeah. us about that. We've got a bunch of them. Um, let me use one that's really, really fresh in my mind because it, it just happened a month or so ago. Uh, so I, I was speaking at another RIA group uh, in a different part of the country and teaching them marketing and negotiation and, and deal control. So how, you know, how do you get paid? Uh, this fellow, his name is Roger. He took, uh, he took all the lessons to heart and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out there and make it happen. He went out and went driving for deals as his marketing source went around uh, neighborhoods around them, started looking for properties that looked like they were in disrepair 
or look like they might be a little bit neglected. They look like they need a little TLC, a little tender loving care. And so he uh, started mailing them and then following up with phone calls, which makes the phone call even easier. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm calling to follow up on that letter I sent you last week. Think about how much easier that conversation is for you. Don't even worry yeah. about that. It's easier for you. Hey, I'm calling to follow up on that message I sent you. Great. Well, he gets one where the guy says, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older. I can't handle this house anymore. I want to move somewhere else. I really do want to get rid of this place, but I don't think I can list it because it's not in good shape. Perfect, right? Perfect. That's it. Yes. Perfect for uh, an investor, not an agent anyway. And so Roger, my student worked with this guy. He followed every step of my process, right? He did the marketing like I told him. He negotiated it like I told him. And then he got into some other complications in the deal, such as this guy was saying, well, you know, is my family going to agree? Because uh, he wasn't doing that well. And what, and he, he stepped in, made sure deal with everyone else you got to deal with, deal with them uh, the right way, deal with them polite, deal with them professional. Uh, he, he had used my contract. You present a good, solid contract. You come across as professional. When the family looked at that contract, they were comfortable with it because it's professional and everything's done right. And so you, you set all the terms down. So within a couple months of meeting me, he knocks out his first deal, uh, which was $17,000. He wholesaled it. He didn't. He said, I, I, I don't want to try rehabbing it. I don't want to buy and hold it right now. He just wanted to get in and get out. So he wholesaled it, which means basically selling the deal to another investor. He made 17,000 bucks. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, tell us, since you got so much experience, I would like to hear about one of your most recent favorite deals as well. Yeah, I have one where <laughs> um, I always use the various negotiation techniques like like flinching, right? Flinching is just a constant thing. I, I flinch. I flinch at everything. Anytime I hear a number a five ooh, flinch, <laughs> you know, five. Uh, so I'll do it. And it doesn't seem to matter what the value of the property is or what you're dealing with. The, the, the flinching just works. It's the science behind that that works. So I have a deal. I, I've started playing around with some beach rentals and some more expensive housing just in the nature of the nature of where I am. And I said, let me let me let me try this. So was negotiating on a multimillion dollar property and I wanted to get the price down and I'm using the exact same techniques that I use on a $50,000 property or $100,000 property or $200,000 property. And I'll tell you, they work just as well. In fact, you could maybe you could argue they work better because since you have a higher number, the the, the, the spread is bigger. Yeah. The drops mm -hmm. end up being bigger. I mean, as a percentage, it probably stays about the same, but the overall dollar amount can be huge. Uh, then I also got in the position on this one deal where it was, how do you negotiate with a very rich person who doesn't need the money? You've got to make it about something else. And so I kept trying to figure out what, what were the important issues to the seller? What were they really after? Uh, what was important to them? And then make sure that I framed how selling me the deal would, would, um, would help them achieve those goals or be afraid of other things. So the, 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 this one particular property had some wiring issues. And uh, I brought up the, the fact that you know, I knew the person had done quite a bit to help children and help kids. And I, I look, I slightly played off of it. I said, I'm, you know, how, wow, how could we ever put children in that house with the wiring being that bad? Uh, and mm -hmm. it was kind of, you know, the, there was unhappiness, but concessions were made to account for that as well. So 
if you find the hot buttons for each person that you're dealing with, that, that's a key part of negotiation as well. You just want to get to the point where you're talking their language because they have issues along the way. There's pressure on them to want to sell as well, no matter no matter how rich or how poor they are. There's there's pressure on them to sell. Thank you. Um, how can someone add immediate value to you or your business? Uh, to me or my business or, or, or to themselves? You or your business? Um, immediate value. Uh, I would show like immediate value as investors get out there and do something. I would get out and drive for deals. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't cost you anything. Okay. Uh, I use an app to 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 do it. I use Deal Machine as an app to to help and assist me with driving for deals, tagging the properties, researching the properties. Uh, and then sometimes you find phone numbers right there and you call them. Or if you really want to have some fun, go knock on the door and watch what happens. But you'll have you'll have an immediate uh, immediate rise in value because even if the deal goes nowhere, you're getting that immediate feedback from somebody and you're putting yourself in a situation where something something good can happen. All right. Uh, what are three books that you recommend to the audience and why? Three books. Uh, well, if you've not read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I think between you and me, right? We, you know, we said that's what God is rolling. I think that's on the must read list. Uh, I would, number two, there's a book. It's a, it's a few years old now, but that doesn't matter. It's still worth, it's worth every page. It's called uh, uh, To Be or Not To Be Intimidated. That's by Robert Ringer. That is a phenomenal book for getting your, your mindset straight about Hey, it's a business jungle out there and yeah, people are out for themselves and whatnot, but you got to learn how to survive and how to handle yourself and maintain, I guess I would call it frame control. I don't remember if that's the exact words he uses, but mm -hmm. from a negotiation perspective, that's what I would call it. That, that book meant a lot to me and I, I highly recommend that to others. Then a third book, I guess, what kind of marketer would I be if I, if I didn't say my own book, oh. <laughs> which is called, uh, how to correctly flip houses for a profit. Oh, I didn't know you had a book. We would have talked about that a little bit deeper. I would love to. So something selfishly that I do is I collect books. You can kind of see some in the background. I write books. Um, I would love to get a signed copy of your book. I would love should be your address. Okay. All right. You got it. I'll send you my address. Um, tell us about your book. Man, I wish I knew that. <laughs> it's all right. So look, my, my book covers what does it take to flip houses for profit Correctly, right? How to correctly flip house for profit. The, the correctly word is in there because it particularly makes one of my attorneys really happy. She was always mm -hmm. beating for us about it. investors get into so much trouble because you know they try mm -hmm. to cut corner or they're doing something not quite right, and then it gives everybody a bad name, and, and investors get all these laws passed against them, all this other nonsense. So I want to get it done. I want to get it done correctly now. Flipping might be fixing it up and reselling it. Flipping could also be what I predominantly do, which is wholesaling. Put it under contract and sell the contract to somebody else. Sell your position in the deal to somebody else. So that's that's what I view as as flipping was one or the other. And so how do you correctly do it? I walk people through the whole process in what is a short read. It's right around 100 pages. There's also an audio version available. It's I, I didn't want to write War and Peace because I think that War and Peace is intimidating. I wanted to write something that you'll sit down, get sucked right into. I tend to write the way I talk. so. If you enjoy hearing me talk, maybe you'd enjoy reading the book. If, if you don't like the sound of uh, the way I talk, well, then maybe it's not the right book for you. 
Oh man, I, I I had no idea you you published a book. I definitely want my copy, and you know I'll I'll get with maybe we can do like a another episode talking about that book. Cool. So, all right, what is one question you wish I had asked you, and how would you have answered? Hmm. One question. What would that be? Yes, good questions. I'm not sure. I'm feeling like there's anything totally incomplete. What? Let's see. What would be? You could ask me. What there was one question I could have asked you. Yeah. If there's if yeah. there's one question I could have asked you but I didn't ask you, how yeah. would you have answered? What does it take to have longevity? How about that? Because we talked yeah. a lot about getting started, but some people mm-hmm. are going. I've been in the business a while. What's it? You know, is it a different game with longevity? A little bit, but honestly, I think most of that game tracks back to the same thing I'm trying to get people learn at the beginning, and that's make sure you have a process for repetition. And on a longevity perspective, you know, twenty something years in, you gotta have some systems and some automation in place. You gotta have your marketing going out like clockwork without you being involved in it. I think the problem for a lot of people is they put themselves at the center. And if you're always at the center of everything, then you're also the choke point and and the point of failure. A lot of times you can be the single point of failure. I've done much better as I've learned to automate out my marketing. And if it can't be computer automated, then get a virtual assistant to do it. And then you you write the process. You say this is how I want it done. These are the steps of the process, and you give it to them and let them follow the steps. Now all you have to do, as the owner of your business and as as the as the as the business leader, is get in there and make sure they're following the process. So you can, you know, in your in your uh, uh, kind of flow chart of how things get done, you have certain points that you would check in on or make sure you get copied on the message or that they report back to you at a certain point. That way you have those little check pieces, but all you need to do now is follow along that those checks are being done. You don't need to do every single step of the process. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. There was a quote by James Clear that I can't remember. Um, I'm going to mess it up, but it's very valid because I just saw it and he said something like um, goals are for people that want to achieve but systems are for people that i forget it was such a good quote it was such a good quote man i I was like looking for it while you were talking but it was a really good quote by james clear i'll probably find it and send it again because because it's very valid like you want to have a goal but the goal is a one-time thing if you want to repeat winning you need a system right you need that longevity what you just talked about so uh, and and i think an overall component to all this jerome is mm -hmm. is at the beginning it's really easy to I need money. I, I just got to do a deal. I need money. I got to solve mm-hmm. this immediate problem. But in the long term, make sure you've set it so that the, the real center of your goal is your lifestyle. It's you and your family and your kids and the way you want to be at the middle. Otherwise, so many people wind up, they go off on their own and they create a job. They're so desperate to quit the job and not have to answer to anyone else, but they basically build, you know, instead of being in someone else's prison, they now own their own prison cell. And so I see people build a business that's like a prison for them. What was the point of that? To keep your lifestyle and and, and your family at the core and the center and build the business around that, not the other way around. Too many people try to wrap their life around their business instead of wrapping their business around their life. Thank you. Uh, Could you tell us that that concludes our episode? Could you tell us where we can learn more about you and please tell us about your book too i wish i'd known that earlier (laughs) that's all right look i'll send it to you i'll sign it send it to you you read it another episode on that but so 
all of this information, you can find more about me online. If you go to tomzeeb.com, T-O-M, Z is in zebra, E-E, B is in boy.com. The whole podcast there on negotiation, a lot of, a lot of trainings, a lot of interviews with, with other people that I've trained as well. You'll, you'll get a lot out of that podcast. My main training site is tractionrealestatementors.com. That site's got an enormous amount of video training. You can also find my book there. So the link to the Amazon uh, page for that, which and it's also available uh, in audio version. And then since we mentioned it earlier and you're talking about real estate investor associations, uh, be happy to have anyone at our online events there at tractionrea.com. Thank you. Thank you. This has been excellent, Tom. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for doing this episode. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm going to end us. I want you to sit here so we can catch up in the green room and then cool. we'll end it. All right. Thank you so much.